Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers, I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Maddie D. Hey Kieran, I don't know if you heard this around the block, but Vespa yes. is actually working with Quantum. Really? Mm, yes, don't tell anyone though, My motor secret. scooter is working with Quantum Physics? That's right, that's right, and if you didn't want to know that, then you should not be listening to the show, because that is a spoiler. That's right, so here we are again. Yes. Back on Potential Spoilers. Three episodes away from our previous James Bond movie when we were discussing No Time to Die, the upcoming 007 adventure. And here we are again discussing James Bond. Luck of the dice. Yes, that's right. So typically what we do on this show is we look at upcoming Hollywood blockbusters and then we try and guess as much of the plot of that movie as humanly possible Mm. just based on the trailers or the promotional material. But this week we're doing something special. It's one of our special episodes. We're taking a break from predicting movies and we're coming up with our own movie concepts. That's right, that's right, because we talk a lot of trash here and potential spoilers and I think it's only fair that we get held accountable. We're always bagging out Hollywood writers. See if we can come up with something better. Yeah, that's right. Well, I can't guarantee you that what we'll come up with is better, (laughs) but uh, it might be more entertaining. We'll see. We'll see. Now, I just wanted to point out as well that one of the movies that we've covered in a previous episode is currently in cinemas. So if you're excited at all to see the upcoming Pixar adventure onwards, the one with the dad who's a pair of pants... We've covered that episode previously, and if you're going to go see it over the weekend, check out our episode. I'd probably recommend listening to our episode after you see the movie. I'd recommend that too, but do whatever you like. Yeah, listen to it before, spoil it for yourself. You never know, we could be dead wrong, or we could be exactly right. Yes, yes. An important note for this show is we don't actually have any leaked information, any insider right. information. We're not this reading leaked scripts here or your Pure emails. speculation, but sometimes we get kind of close and in some circumstances yeah, get bang close. on the money at what's going to happen in the movie. I'm very surprised at how close... We got to The Invisible Man, which is currently in cinemas when this episode comes out. And I think all of our listeners will be impressed at our efforts. Because in that show, Matty D and I just came up with that plot off the top of our heads on the episode. Yes. And you would be surprised how much stuff appears in the actual movie. Yeah, and that was a very um, vague trailer, I remember. Yeah. So we were just like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I think we got as close as we possibly could to the twist without giving too much away. Yeah, I don't think we could have really been closer just with our speculation. So I'm very proud of ourselves. I think we should give ourselves a warm pat on the back for that effort. Yep. Matty D's actually patting himself on the back. You can hear that in the audio. But here we are again, as I mentioned earlier, talking about James Bond. So we've decided to come up with our own. If you listen to last week, episode, the Fast and the Furious 9 episode. At the end, we decided that we're going to come up with a plot for a brand new James Bond series. We're rebooting the old, tired James Bond series and doing something brand new with it. So we've had the series of James Bond movies that existed from the 1970, 1960, 1960. From 1961 onwards, I believe, with Dr. No. It's been rebooted with the Daniel Craig franchise. Yeah, in a loose way. We're trying our hand at uh, rebooting this franchise once again. That's right. So it's almost timely in a way because I think Eon Productions, the production company that's made the James Bond movies since 1961. I'm pretty sure they're considering either starting a new series with a new secret agent, of course, which we discussed in our No Time to Die episode, or possibly even starting fresh and doing a completely new James Bond series. Yes, that's right. So there might be some potential Hollywood writers or producers that are listening eagerly to this podcast and maybe stealing some of these ideas. We're going to beat them to the punch. We might be hired. 
One of our ideas, I can guarantee you, will be chosen by them. They're either going to go one of two directions, either my direction or your direction. We'll see. So you heard it here first. You're going to know ahead of time what they're going to do with the future Bond movies. <laughs> mm, or maybe not. We'll see. So if you're a James Bond fan or if you're new and interested to the whole franchise, I'd probably strongly recommend going back and listening to our No Time to Die episode before you listen to this one because I sort of went over in a very loose manner the history of the the movies and a little bit of the background and I don't think it's worth repeating everything again in this episode so I thought I'd bring some new information to the table for okay. everybody. Also, we it's worth mentioning that Kieran is a massive fan of this That's franchise right. which I'm sure he'll go into but um, yes, knows his stuff. Yeah, so this is one of my movie series slash book series slash, I guess, franchises overall that I'm really passionate about. I've always had a keen interest in it, so it's always exciting for me to talk about something I'm interested in for a change rather than, I don't know, the standard Hollywood blockbuster motorcycle chase or superhero movies, for example. We also covered our histories with the franchise in that previous episode, so if you want to know what our connection to Bond is, again, I'd strongly recommend going back, educating yourself and finding out more about our personal stories with Bond. Now, because I talked about my history with the Bond movies in the previous episode, I just thought I'd mention at this point my history with the Bond books in this episode. Okay. So from what I can understand, Matty D, you've never even seen a Bond book. Oh, no. You've never flicked open one of the covers. Not at all. So you don't really know what the books would be like in comparison to the movies. Nope. So your history is basically non-existent in the world of Bond outside the films. Only the films is what I've got to go off. That's fair enough. So because I grew up watching the films, it wasn't until recently. Recently, in the last maybe mm, five to seven years, I started reading the James Bond novels. And the main reason that I started reading them was because I presumed in my head that they would either be almost identical to the movies. And a couple of them that I read were fairly close to the movies. But then I thought, maybe what they do in the novels is a more gritty, realistic take that might make a better movie version. Because as we know, we discussed this in the last episode as well, the Bond character on film has been softened and has evolved a lot from the Bond character that he was based on from the book. So I thought, well, the more gritty and realistic Daniel Craig Bond is based on the the Bond from the books. So he's a real departure from the Roger Moores or the Pierce Brosnans in the movies. So Very I thought, slick, very if, everything comes easy. If he's this cool in Casino Royale or Skyfall, he's got to be amazingly cool in the books. I could not be more wrong. The James Bond in the James Bond books is a real class A asshole. Mm. You could argue that James Bond in the movie is an asshole, but he doesn't hold a candle to book James Bond. So this is a character from my understanding is a red- Racist is a misogynist. That's right. He does get better as the books progress. He becomes more open to other cultures and he is more accepting of women. But basically his favorite thing to call women in the first couple of books is like stupid bitch. Mm. He was like, just, I don't know. That's just his now, bag. I might be t- speaking out of school here, but wasn't Ian Fleming himself not uh, not too forward thinking with a lot of his ideals yeah. well, and yes. opinions? I don't think he was that rough with women personally or would speak to his own wife that way. I was thinking more along the homophobic Yeah, but he definitely was against gay and lesbian marriage. He was very outspoken about that. And he was also very against racial integration as well. He was quoted quite often saying things that would look very bad now 
in 2020 times. But I suppose people in the 1950s were of a different mindset. And some of that carries over to the Bond books as well. I remember there was a few instances of the term chingo thrown around. Wow. I know you're thinking, what is a chingo? I can imagine. But it was a term that he made up, I believe, for the book. That was like a made-up slur for people who are half Chinese, half black. Right. So he is making his own racial slurs. Yeah, basically. (laughs) I don't know if this was actually a real slur from the time. But because I hadn't heard it ever in my life, I'm presuming it was coming specifically from the twisted mind of Fleming. Sitting there in Jamaica in the GoldenEye state, riding on his gold typewriter, smoking 100 cigarettes a day, drinking like a fish, and dying at the ripe old age of about 54. Wow, that's really young. He didn't live for a very long time. Good old Ian Fleming. I think he only saw about maybe two or three of the Bond movies actually come to the big screen. Did he like them? Uh, He did. He was a big fan of them. I bet he liked the paycheck. Yeah, I'm sure he did too. (laughs) Now, the interesting thing, the Bond from the books in his conception, and I've actually got a quote from Ian Fleming here, he said, I wanted the simplest, dullest, plainest sounding name I could find. James Bond was much better than something more interesting like Peregrine Carruthers. Exotic things would happen to and around him, but he would be a neutral figure, an anonymous blunt instrument, which is something they focus in on on the Craig movies, wielded by a government department. It's funny, isn't it? Because now James Bond and even the last name Bond is so synonymous with yeah. exciting secret agent spy that yeah, that's you know, right. I, I know a few people whose last name is Bond and yeah, Alan Bond. That's always the first thing you kind of think of. Yeah, exactly. So he's basically turned that whole idea of it being a really boring name around. And then suddenly, if your name is James or you happen to have the last name Bond, all people are going to associate it with this big blockbuster action. But he wasn't written to be a real hero, basically, is what I'll say. Um, He was also a chain smoker in the books, quite like Ian Fleming himself, and he was also a massive alcoholic. So he was a blank slate as a character. Well, not really a blank slate. He was basically written as boring and unlikable. So you were supposed to be more excited by the situations that he got in and the sort of scrapes that he has to work his way through rather than the character himself. He wasn't that suave, basically. And as I said, someone who has a penchant for calling women stupid bitch is probably not known for being that suave either way. And then he turned into a sophisticated, suave, charming... Like I said, he got his evolution in the films and became the character that everybody loves and appreciates to this day. So I'm kind of glad of that. I definitely prefer Bond in the movies to Bond in the books. I probably wouldn't recommend many of the books to the average reader. But if you're a massive Bond fan, I think you can pick and choose and maybe read something like Casino Royale or Live and Let Die if you're curious. But the average Bond fan probably won't get anything from them. Okay. Because sometimes he's chasing around mafioso in the desert. Really? Like in a cowboy western style setting. Like, who would have imagined Bond doing that? That's that's where the source comes from. There you go. Because these were pulp novels. Novels, that's right. They were originally featured in Playboy, I believe. Oh, man. So I think a chapter was published a month in Playboy. I think that's where they got their start, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least short stories appeared in Playboy. Again, I'm not reading this off anything. This is just going from memory. As typical you. Yes. But yes, the novels aren't very long. They're about the same width and length as a Goosebump book, if that's a good comparison for people. (laughs) And they probably have about the same emotional maturity as a Goosebump book as well. I'm just kidding, of course. Now, we're here today to talk about a potential James Bond reboot. Of course... The Daniel Craig movies aren't the first time that the series has been rebooted or been attempted to be rebooted. Really? Are you familiar with this at all, Matty D? No, I thought that was the only time. Well, I don't know if you're familiar at all with a gentleman by the name of Kevin McClory, but he actually tried to start his own James Bond series, and I'll get to why in a second. Have you ever heard of the James Bond movie Never Say Never Again? Uh, I think so. Came out, I think, 1983. I could be wrong. Was this the one you were showing me? It might have been. I can't remember. 
remember. Was Sean Connery in it? Uh, yeah, Sean Connery is in it. He returns to the role of Bond after but being away for about 15 or 20 years. He's not named as Bond. Though, no, he is Bond. He is James Bond, Bond 007, yeah, working for MI6. Yeah, you showed me this. Yeah, so that was the first, well, it wasn't the first, that was the first in an attempted new series of Bond films started by a different production company that weren't Eon Productions. So the whole reason that Kevin McClory had the rights to James Bond and Spectre and several things that appear in Bond movies was because when they were originally adapting Bond to the big screen back in 1960, I believe it was, none of the novels they thought were appropriate to be adapted into a movie. So they decided to come up, Ian Fleming, and his good friend Kevin McClory and one other person who I can't name off the top of my head (laughs) decided to pen an entirely original Bond story for the big screen. So they came up with a concept for a Bond movie and this movie was called Thunderball. I remember Thunderball. Now, I know you're thinking, hang on, there was a novel called Thunderball, there was a movie called Thunderball. How can this be? Well, they never ended up making the Thunderball movie from that script. Okay. So it was ended up being scrapped and then Fleming was like, I don't want to put this script to waste. There's too much good material in it because believe it or not, it's the first time that they introduced Spectre as a concept. Really? Spectre didn't appear in the Bond books at this point. So he's like, that's a great idea. I'm going to turn this unused script into a novel. So he turned it into the novel Thunderball. And of course, Kevin McClory was like, hang on. <laughs> I worked on this novel as well, and now you're putting it out as Ian Fleming. What a jerk. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't even give him any credit, basically, in the novel. So he took him to court. The courts decided, yeah, that is unfair. So from that point onwards, any edition of Thunderball published had to include Kevin McClory and the other writer's name in the front. And then, of course, when they brought Thunderball to the screen, they also had to credit Kevin McClory and the other writer as well as the writers of that movie. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. No issues there. But then Kevin McClory took it further. He said, you know what? You're using my characters. You're using Blofeld and Spectre in all of your movies. So if you remember, Spectre and Blofeld were big parts of the Bond movies initially. As big an arch nemesis as Bond can have. That's right. And Kevin McClory said, well, that's from my script. I didn't give you permission to use those in your movies. So in fact, any movie where you have Blofeld or Spectre, you need to be crediting me as a writer because I came up with those characters. Okay. From that point onwards, they couldn't use Spectre or Blofeld in any of the Eon Bond films. And just to jump in, that's is that the reason why... Quantum in, was, a, yeah. was created for so, the Daniel Craig movies. So instead of being Spectre, the Spectre organisation, they had Quantum organisation. That's right. And that was going to just replace the Spectre organisation. And then that's I guess right. they got the rights to That's absolutely right. Spectre. So eventually they got the rights. So this lawsuit ran from 1961 to 2006. What an ugly lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. And the only reason it ended was because Kevin McClory died. They're like, what? And Time so to get our as soon as he died, in. they didn't have to credit him anymore. They, his family didn't hold the rights to Spectre or Thunderball or anything like that. So Eon got all the rights back and then they were suddenly the sole copyright holders, which is why we got Spectre in 2015. They were finally able to bring back Spectre and Blofeld in all its glory. They shouldn't have bothered if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, everyone was keen for it. Everyone was excited. But the execution, oh boy, we talked about it last time. uh, Yeah, you can listen to our James Bond episode to hear my... No no Time to Die episode. Hear my opinions about the Spectre movie, but... Even I thought it was poorly handled, Matty D. (laughs) I'm not going to be deluded enough to say, yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah. 
And that's also why Blofeld took like an absence from the screen for such a long yeah, period of time. Yeah, that's right. He was, you're right. He was like in every movie, albeit different actors. But he was and in Spectre too. Yeah, and Spectre as well. And then all of a sudden, you just had this long period, long of time. period of time where there was you know they no Spectre, no Blofeld weren't mentioned. Weren't... They actually killed Blofeld off, believe it or not. In For Your Eyes Only, the movie actually opens with a cold open of Bond in a helicopter that's been taken over by Blofeld in a wheelchair, complete with the cat on his lap. And Bond actually uses the helicopter to scoop up Blofeld and drop him down a smokestack. They don't call him Blofeld, but it's really obvious that it's supposed to be him. Yeah. And that was their sort of way as filmmakers to give the middle finger to Kevin McClory and say, look, we don't even need Blofeld to keep making great movies. So that's what we think of him. So that was why he, in universe, wasn't around anymore. Without further ado, we should get straight into our plots. Right. So I believe you're going first. That's right. That right. Now, yeah. you're a fan of this franchise. It's near and dear to your heart. That's right. Did you find this difficult coming up with a plot? Because Not particularly. you're close or because you've got such an extensive knowledge of the source material did you find it easy is there a bond movie in your head that you want to see yeah well believe it or not there has always been a specific bond movie that i don't think they've ever made and i don't think they ever will made that i've had ideas for in my head so in a lot of my free time i I was always thinking to myself if i was making a bond movie what would it be like so unlike myself who's only prepared for this because of the show, you've kind of been preparing yeah. for this your whole life. Now, I don't want to get anyone too excited. This isn't exactly my magnum opus. This is just me scrambling, essentially, over a week and just throwing all my random ideas <laughs> onto paper. So, I don't want anyone to think that this is going to be an amazingly oh, brilliant... Oh, no, Kieran. Our expectations are yeah. sky high. Oh, boy. I don't want to oversell it and say, yes, this is going to be the most amazing Bond plot you've ever heard. But it's going to have a few elements in it that I've always wanted from a Bond movie and a direction that I don't think they'll actually take the Bond movies in the future. So the director that I picked for my fantasy Bond movie is the one and the only Steven Spielberg. That is very interesting. And now I know you're thinking, hang on. No, I think it's great. I like really think that's a really good decision. He always wanted to make a Bond movie, if you didn't know. He, I think, was even considered at one point. In the 80s, he was strongly considered to take over the Bond directing duties. Well, at least for one film anyway. But for whatever reason, they rejected him. I'm not exactly sure why. There's all these different theories, but none of them actually hold any weight. But the reason that we have Indiana Jones is because after he was rejected for making a Bond movie, George Lucas came to him and said, look, I've got the next best thing. We can come up with a character who's cooler than James Bond and make our own James Bond style movies. Which until you told me this, I didn't see the parallels between Indiana Jones and James Bond. But when you think about it, there is a lot. Yeah, there is a whole lot. In fact, at the start of Temple of Doom, He's wearing one of Bond's classic outfits. Yes, He's wearing the white tuxedo with the red carnation. Really nice nod there. Now, another reason that I got Steven Spielberg is because I know he's really good with period films. He's also really good with special effects, for the most part. We all saw Indiana Jones 4 and (laughs) Ready Player One. He wins more than he loses, though. Absolutely. Now, have you ever seen Catch Me If You Can? Yes. I'm a big fan of that movie as well. Great movie. So if he can do a Bond movie in the style of Catch Me If You Can, even set within like the same time period, there's a little hint there, I, I think that would be fantastic. So the year is 1960. We're going right back to the start of Bond. Matty D's eyeing his notes nervously. Are you doing the same thing? I might. Yes. I think this is the only direction that you can take it that hasn't really been done before. I mean, the Bond movies have always been set in modern day, but why not go back to the original inception of the character? Yes. I mean, sure, the novels were written in the 50s, but like, I didn't want to have it set in the 50s. I'd rather go like more Cold War era. It sounds like we, at least for this detail, went down a similar track. I can't wait to hear yours then. So, it's 1960, Cold War time. Speaking of Cold War, the movie's going to have a cold open. (laughs) (laughs) 
with James Bond, played by Luke Evans. Do you know who Luke Evans is? What's Luke Evans from? So Luke Evans was barred in the Hobbit movies. I think it was just the third Hobbit movie. Yeah. He was also Gaston in the live-action Beauty and the Beast movie. So good-looking guy. And he was also Owen Shaw from the Fast and Furious movies, Deckard Shaw's brother. So I'm just going to ask beforehand, are you committing to the fact that James Bond should be cast British people? Like yeah, UK absolutely. People? Okay. I just think it would be easier on the actor overall, and I know... And I know that Luke Evans would be able to pull it off with relative ease. Yeah. James Bond, who's been captured by Smirsh agents. Now, if you're not sure who Smirsh is, Smirsh was the real-life Russian counterintelligence group and tied to a chair, Bond is, by the way. Now, these two Smirsh agents are played by, of all people, myself and Matty D. Nice. Because we need to work in cameos for ourselves. And the agents had found Bond drunk and slumped at a casino bar, so they were able to drag him away with relative ease. They suspect Bond is a secret agent who's been tracking their operations in the area, but Bond claims to be a tourist who's come to compete in the local Baccarat tournament. What's Baccarat? Baccarat is the card game that Bond is best at. So in the movies, they sort of change this over time to poker and then eventually Texas Hold'em poker, which Bond never would have played. But originally in the movies and in the books, it was Baccarat. Bond would never play that card game. Yeah, well, Texas Hold'em didn't exist when Bond was written, so that's why he would never play it. Now, as I go through my plot as well, a lot of longtime Bond fans will probably recognize a lot of plot points because I took a lot of Bond novel and movie ideas and condensed them down basically into one movie. So you're going to hear a lot of elements or familiar elements, at least, from three separate books. Did you want to list those books or is it just... No, they'll become obvious as we go through. The Smirsh agents don't accept Bond's excuse and peel off one of Bond's fingernails. Ooh. I think I would give up information if someone was peeling my fingers or toenails off. I think they just need to threaten that and I would, I'd give in. Right. Yeah, me too. Bond screams that he'll admit he's a spy if that's what they want to hear. Satisfied with that response, the Smirsh agents prepare to kill Bond by dousing him in petrol. They're going to immolate him. Bond asks for one last cigarette since he wants to, quote, go out like a man. <laughs> one of the Smirsh agents places a cigarette in Bond's mouth, let's say it's me, and leans in to light it with a match. As he leans in, Bond headbutts the agent in the face and kicks him to the ground with his legs. That are tied to the chair. Which aren't quite tied to the chair. So okay. his, his torso and his lap are tied to the chair, let's say. So he can stand up. Bond jumps up and rams the chair that he's tied to into the second agent. Sorry, Matty D. My stunt double takes this hit. Yeah. Smashing the chair into pieces and freeing Bond from his restraints. Bond knocks a gun out of the agent's hand and manages to kill him in a brutal fist fight. Maybe that's your stunt double too. <laughs> I don't get a lot of screen time here. Well, neither do I. The second Smirsh agent recovers and pulls his gun on Bond. And for a moment, we see Bond through the gun barrel of the agent's gun. Just a little That's smile and cool. wink to the previous movies. But Bond is quicker and shoots the agent with the gun he'd knocked aside earlier. And there's a curtain of red blood that trickles that down the screen. Down. No, I won't go that far with it. So I just want to point out as well, at this point, we won't have any opening titles or theme song. Just because I want to completely remove myself. Even though we just had a, a reference to the gun barrel sequence. That was more so just for the fans. But I want to completely remove myself from anything that the Bond movies have done in the past. And start on a completely fresh slate. We then cut to a scene that introduces the baddies, who happen to be Spectre, we should all be familiar with them at this point, as they take over a nuclear submarine that they've infiltrated. So they've gone in undercover as regular Navy officers, but surprise, surprise, about four of them are actually Spectre agents. They subdue the people that they need to and completely take over this submarine. These baddies are led by a man called Emilio Largo, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix. You know what? I actually thought of casting him as a villain in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. That'd be funny if we both had him as wow. the villain. Wow. 
don't, but pretty good casting there. And Largo is the number three in the Spectre organization. Now, I know you're thinking that's a ranking, but in this universe, the Spectre numbers change all the time. So this week, you're number two. This week, you're number eight. Uh, next week, you're number four. It's just done so it's harder for other organizations to track them on what they're doing. Yeah, so, who they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So he may be the second in command, but he's known as number three. So they don't use real names within the Spectre organization. Is that something from the book? Yes, it is. Because I know that's a gag in Austin Powers. But they've also done it in Bond movies as well. But in the movies, it's sort of insinuated that the numbers are ranking. So the higher ranking Spectre members have higher numbers. So Blofeld is number one. Largo in the movies and the book is number two and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So he's considered the second in command. But not in this movie. So after a month of rest, because I always wondered in the movies why Bond never got to have a rest. (laughs) He gets his rest. Bond returns to MI6 in London, where he's scolded by M, played by Stellan Skarsgård, for his sloppiness in the previous mission. You familiar with Stellan? Where's she from? Stellan Skarsgård is a male actor. He played Will's father in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. If you remember, he had like a a starfish on his face. And he was also in... He was recently in Chernobyl. And he was in the Marvel movies as the scientist in... Thor, right? Yeah, that's right. That and was him. And he was also in Goodwill Hunting as the professor yep. that was a bit of a... No, I don't think he was a jerk, but he was like the foil to Robin yeah. Williams' character. He typically plays that sort of character. But that's him. That's M. Okay. Happy with that one? Yeah, I'm happy with it. Because why would M be a woman in my Bond universe? Well, we'll get to that in a second. M is scolding him for his sloppiness in the previous mission and tells him, you have a license to kill, not be killed. Bond complains that the reason he was captured was because his contact during the previous mission was a woman and that they have no place in the espionage business because they can't keep their damn mouths shut. Oh, wow. One of my major themes in this movie, because it's set in the 1960s, I'm going to do the Mad Men thing and highlight a lot of the social norms and the... Oh, look at him. Matty D's laughing because he's looking at his own notes. He's done exactly (laughs) the same thing. We have the same movie. Oh, wow. I can guarantee it. I predict we have the same movie. So, yeah, I really wanted to highlight a lot of the negative aspects that are present from the 1960s, almost specifically the stuff that Fleming wrote about in his books. So What an original idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, I did it first. So <laughs> You went first. Yeah, exactly. So I get to put it out there first. So nah, 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 nah. <laughs> So yeah, you can see where this whole theme of the movie is going. But M informs Bond that they live in an ever-changing world and their enemies would be less suspicious of female agents. M gives Bond his new mission. You see, the Prime Minister of the UK has received a letter from Spectre who threatens to blow up a major city with their stolen nuclear missiles unless the organisation is paid a ransom of £100 pounds sterling maybe i don't know what is sterling versus regular i have pounds? no idea whatever's the most money i'm guessing yeah. is what you're going to our go uk with. audience will be able to tell us the submarine was last tracked just off the coast of jamaica so mi6 suspects that it still may be held in the vicinity so bond takes a plane over to jamaica and we have a few scenes of bond being rude to black people in service roles <laughs> For example, baggage attendants in the airport. He takes a car service from the airport to his hotel and the driver is a black guy. And let's just say that he isn't too kind. He's not going to throw racial slurs around, but he just basically treats them like they're less than dirt. So on his way to his hotel, Bond noticed that he's being tailed by a mysterious man. Bond confronts the mysterious man in his hotel room, so he waits all the way until he gets up there and checks in, and we discover that this man is CIA agent Felix Leiter. Now, I know you love this character. Who is played by, of course, John Goodman, because apparently John Goodman has to appear in all my plots. (laughs) 
because I keep casting him for some reason. I also think it would be fun to have Felix Leiter be like a less competent CIA agent. Okay. He's more like Joe Don Baker's character from the Pierce Brosnan movies. I can't remember that character's name. But he basically replaced Felix Leiter in the movie after Felix Leiter got eaten by sharks in, in one of the movies. That old devil. Yes. So Leiter has been investigating the theft of the submarine and has been asked by the CIA to collaborate with Bond. Leiter puts Bond on the tail of Largo, who the locals say is a hotshot millionaire who has come to Jamaica on his private boat in search of sunken pirate treasure. Now remind me who was cast as Largo? Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, okay. So I think the next portion of the movie, just to briefly go over it because we don't have all day, is Bond and Leiter tailing Largo and investigating what he's up to and investigating the areas that they think the submarine might be held. But overall, they really learn nothing from this. That evening, Bond comes face to face with Largo at the hotel casino and plays him in a game of During the game, we're also introduced to Largo's mistress, Fiona Volpe, who's played by Karen Gillan. Okay. Who you may know as Amy Pond from Doctor Who movies, <laughs> as well as, what was her name? Ruby Roundhouse from the new Jumanji yes. movies, as well as Nebula from the Marvel movies. She might be too mainstream, as you say, for a Bond girl, if we can call her that. She's not really a Bond girl, but I wanted a redhead, and that was the first <laughs> person that came to you mind. You wanted a redhead. Yeah. Gotcha. Bond handily beats Largo at Baccarat, even though he's drinking heavily, and we know, as the audience, that both parties are mutually aware in some capacity of each other's true intentions. I think they can just smell it on each other. Later that night, Bond manages to smooth talk Fiona and seduces her. During the seduction, Bond manages to get the information he needs on Largo from Fiona by posing his questions as offhanded curiosities. So essentially, he's trying to find out from her if she knows where the submarine is located that they've stolen. And she doesn't really know any direct information, but she happens to say, well, Largo does spend a lot of time in the blah, blah, blah key, in Crab Key. (laughs) And so Bond goes, hmm, Crab Key. That, crab Key. That could be where the submarine is located. Well, it's a lead, if anything. I'm oh, sorry for my crudity here. But after they climax, <laughs> Bond tells Fiona to return to Largo and coldly threatens to kill her if she tells Largo what she's told to Bond. But when Fiona returns to Largo, he immediately knows of her betrayal. I guess he can smell it on her. <laughs> kills her and throws her body into the ocean to be eaten by sharks. Oh, no. This also confirms Bond's true motives to Largo, who sends a trio of Spectre agents to Bond's hotel room to take care of him, but without killing him because Spectre wants him to send a message to MI6. Bond returns to his hotel room. I guess he went down and drank some more and came back because he was in his hotel room and we left him. (laughs) Bond returns to his hotel room half drunk and starts checking it for bugs, which is one of my favourite things about the old movies. There's like a good 15 minutes in each movie where he just goes around the hotel room like poking everything for bugs. (laughs) After finding a few, Bond takes off his clothes for a shower. But this is when the trio of Spectre agents burst in. This is a classic James Bond uh, scene. Bond puts up a good fight, mind you, he's naked, but he's quickly overpowered. One of the goons literally has Bond by the balls and threatens to cut them off if he continues to investigate Largo. They warn Bond to return to MI6 and let them know that Spectre is not to be messed with. One of the Spectre agents uses a knife to carve the acrylic letter Shah, which looks a bit like a W, it's a very squared off W, onto the back of Bond's hand so that any other agents he comes across will know that he's a spy. Makes sense? Yes. I always wanted them to do that in a Bond movie, but then they'd have to have Bond with like a W on them. For the whole rest of the movies. For the rest of the series, yeah. Well, in the book, he actually has plastic surgery to cover it up. Also, this happens in Yeah, this happens in Casino Royale. But I was like, oh, I really want them to do that in a movie. But yeah, they never did. That's a really good twist, though. Yeah. 
So they knock out Bond after this and return to Largo on his boat, presumably. Bond is roused to consciousness by Felix Leiter. He's still naked at this point, I imagine. So Felix <laughs> is like trying not to look at his genitals. Like, Bond, wake up, wake up. Bond, wake up. Oh, uh, it's John Goodman. Oh, oh Bond, Bond, wake up. <laughs> Bond, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why John Goodman, John I guess. Goodman. And Bond tells him the information that Fiona gave him on the missing submarine. So this brings us already to the climax of the movie where Felix and the CIA goes after and captures the hidden submarine. So they send like a whole, essentially an army of people after the submarine. They have a big shootout there and and manage to take it back over while Bond sneaks aboard Largo's boat. Bond stealthily kills several of Largo's henchmen before cornering Largo himself in his cabin. Largo meekly attempts to put up a fight, but he's better known for his brains rather than his brawn, so he's no match for Bond. You could totally imagine Joker-esque Joaquin Phoenix swinging wildly. I was just thinking Joker, yes. But Bond, who's trained in, I guess, martial arts and whatnot, can just... I don't know, punch him in the face, punch him in the nose and take him out. Bond beats Largo to within an inch of his life, then brutally shoots him dead just as Largo is begging for mercy. Since the submarine has been reclaimed and since Bond believed Largo to be the brains behind the operation, he considers the case closed and celebrates by drowning his sorrows in a ton of Vespa martinis. But in a post credit scene, we see that Spectre, led by a mysterious cat-petting figure, are already plotting their revenge against Bond. I'll get you next time, Gadget. Exactly like that. And that is my James Bond movie. Well, there you go. And does it have a title? Oh, wow. I didn't even think of a title. Mine has a title, Kieran. Um, well, it was basically mostly based on Thunderball with a few elements from Live and Let Die and Casino Royale thrown in there. Casino so, Ball. So it might be Live and Let Thunder Royale or something like that. <laughs> I'd probably just call it Thunderball. Well, this is the first one of your reboot, so it can just yeah. simply be James Bond. Or just Thunderball. Yeah, or Thunderball. They're just doing another Thunderball. They're doing the third Thunderball movie. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, do you want to hear my plot then? Because yours was very, very good. Um, I enjoyed it. And surprisingly, you seem to go in a very similar direction. I'm looking forward to yours. To me. Let's Um, hear it. So my movie is called James Bond Killing Him Softly With His Gun. Oh, wow. And it is directed by Chad Stenhelski. Of course, yes. from John Wick fame. That's right, that's right. From v for Vendetta fame, I believe. That's right, that's right. But I really like Spielberg. If I could steal something from your movie, it would be... You would Spielberg, Spielberg I would, away. I would steal Spielberg for this movie, but I, I already committed to it, so it's there in my plot. That is the director. So, we are going to... Well, Strumming my bond with I'll his just, fingers. I'll just get this out of the way right away. This is going to be a period piece as well. My film will take place in 1964. Wow. And my James Bond, like your James Bond, will have a lot of characteristics of the early films. Maybe not so much the Fleming novels per yeah, se, right, right. but it's a very sexist character and a very backwards character. But we'll see that played. He wasn't really that in the early films. There was elements of that, but not to the same degree that the novel character yeah. was. So there's going to be elements of this character. But as we said in our previous episode, that was more so a reflection of the times rather right. than a character trait. Yes. But in my film, yes. this is what the character will be this like. This is Matty D's world now. Yes, that's right. And also, one other thing for everybody's imagination, my James Bond will have a mustache. Why? Because he had one in I the like books. That. And I always thought uh, it would be... He didn't really have one in the books. David Niven had one in the early Casino Royale movie, mm. which was not made by Eon. Well, I just like the visual of a like pencil-thin mustache. Yeah, I think it would suit the character at that time. Okay, so we'll start with my opening. So it's going to open in Tokyo, Japan. Now, I originally said Tokyo, Japan, but I might change it to be like a mountain. Oh. Snow. Tokyo, Venezuela, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, yep. Like a snow 
snow-covered mountainous area in Japan. Yeah. And it is, again... Oh, wait. Let me guess. 1964. Oh, yep. Yeah, no, go on, go on. I, I've, got a, I've got a point that I want to guess here, though. So, we're going to be introduced to our James Bond. I had a few ideas for the casting here. I was thinking... So, it's a big Japanese castle. There's a huge fish tank. Bond comes scubaing in. No. Is this what happens? No. I guess it could be like a castle or a mansion, but no, that's not what happens. But I'm just going to say my James Bond uh, was going to be played by Robert Patterson. That was an idea I oh, came up. Oh, interesting. Out, which would have been good, but I decided to settle on Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston oh, yeah, is yeah. going to be my He's James been Bond. a long-time favourite for casting, yep. as is Luke Evans, but a lot of people have there been was, calling for Tom Hiddleston there was for a, years. Yeah, there was a few people I could see in this role, but I decided to go with him. So we have our James Bond, who is at a poker table playing a card game with some unsavoury characters. The main villain in this table is a intimidating suited man that has oh, an so eye. So his suit's intimidating. His suit is very intimidating. He has an eye too. Yes. Wow. Most people have two. Well, I was just, before you okay. cut me off. I'm sorry. I was getting to that. It's that he has one eye, but another eye has been replaced with a diamond. Earning oh, really? him the name. Just like in the last action hero. <laughs> earning him the name Diamond Eye. Oh, now, wow. Diamond Eye is going to be played by John Hamm, who I was very originally nice. considering making him play Bond. Yeah, but He's a long-time front runner as well. He's a US actor, correct? Yeah, that's right. So I couldn't have a US actor play James Bond. I don't think he can do a British accent as well. Yeah, so it's just going to be John Hamm being his smarmy, smooth-talking self. So James is cleaning up at the poker game and he takes the last of Diamond Eye's money. James cockily says to Diamond Eye, what a stupid name, doesn't say that. I'm Diamonds that. in the eye. That um, is what we are. So James Cockerley asks Diamond Eye if he wants to win his money back and that they should play one more hand. And if he wins, he can take back all the winnings. And if he loses, he must tell Bond about a new scale of weapons that him and his uh, organization are manufacturing and who they are selling that to. Right. Bond wins. Of course. But a frustrated Diamond Eye pulls out a gun and refuses to honor his side of the agreement. We go into an action scene where there are a few of Diamond Eye's henchmen that display cool karate moves with samurai swordsmanship mm. because we're in Japan. Of course. <laughs> and because it's a period piece. Yes. And because it's a James uh, Bond Japan movie. Japan was very popular for tourism in 1964, I believe. Mm. So it makes sense. Well, we're being very cliche in this movie. Yeah. So Diamond Eye escapes via a helicopter and Bond Wait, manages... this is just spies in disguise at this point, isn't it? It's almost like it. Well, I ripped off uh, the start of Indiana Jones, if you must know. And the start of Spies in Disguise. <laughs> a little bit. So Bond manages to fight his way out and exits with an impressive... Yeah, Temple of Doom as well. Wow. No, wait, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And exits with an impressive ski chase scene where he knocks... Oh, Oh, very nice. Now, how, how, how cool is that in James Bond movies? Now we're going to see an old visual, apparently not too old because you said it in your plot, where James Bond shoots a sniper scope uh, and then we get the same music introduction that shows a lot of space and rocket metaphors. With oh, a nice so you're actually going to have the Eon production yes, style yes. Maurice Binder opening titles. And can I just say that I love the Daniel Craig movies, well, half of them, but one of yeah. my main disappointments is that we don't get that iconic... Gun barrel sequence. Gun barrel Well, they have that inspector, and they have it at the end of Casino Royale. They have it at the end of Casino Royale. And they have the reference to it at the start of Casino Royale, and they also have it at the. They reference it at the start of Skyfall in a really clever way as well, where Bond steps into a hallway. Oh, okay. That's the opening shot of the movie. I didn't notice that, but yeah, I, I always liked that, so I'm adding this to my movie. So. Uh, Bond goes back to the MI6 headquarters in London, where he is chastised by his reckless behaviour. Just like in my flight. Well, <laughs> it's a like... Bond trope. That's a standard. Now, M in my movie is going to be played by George Lazenby. Oh, really? That's clever. I like that. Now, he's an Australian ex-Bond actor. That's right. I wanted to bring him back. All-around nice guy as well, so we're bringing him back to play M. He's actually from the place that Matty D and I are actually from. Exactly. So we've got to give him some work. He's one of our local neighbours. <laughs> Doesn't live there currently, of course. Yeah. But neither do we. Essentially, M introduces a new secret agent that James Bond will be working with. Is this another double 
double O or just another It is another double O. Oh, very nice. And it is somebody who's been, while Bond has been away, she's also, I just spoiled it, oh. she's also been working on the case. So she's they're bringing in a female secret agent. Wow. Whose name is this is. MI6's first female double O operative? It is. Wow. It is. Well, because they live in an ever-changing world <laughs> and our enemies wouldn't suspect female spies as much as male spies. Exactly, exactly. And that's the reason our M gives to James Bond, who is very, very reluctant and apprehensive to have female agents. I predict there will be, well, I'm predicting, I'm writing it. There's going to be a gag where he goes, hey, are you the new money penny? And it turns out, no, she's actually... Are you my new secretary? <laughs> one of the secret agents. And you'll be very happy to know, Kieran, she is played by Charlize Theron. Oh, really? Yeah, I did that just for you. Oh, wow, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. So it's been told that Bond will be working with her and there's nothing he can do about it. Because in the Casino Royale, the book... Bond is basically given a female operative to work with, but she's not a double O. She's mm. just a female operative working with MI6. Yeah. I think she's an accountant. And Bond kicks up a massive stink about it. Like, he doesn't say it out aloud. He's just basically fuming. And we hear Bond's inner monologue, but he's basically like, why on earth are they wasting my time by sending a woman? Well, luckily, because Joan, our female secret oh, okay. agent, is, uh, she has information that she knows Diamond Eye will be at a party. And this party will take place in Mother Russia, where all the bad guys are. Because of course Which was like a no-fly zone for the UK. But he's a secret he's agent. He's a secret I'm agent. He'll get, get in. There. He'll get in. So they'll kind of part ways and James Bond will sneak into this party so he'll he'll sort of jump on the back of a truck and this sort of starting to sound like your no time to die plot as well he'll you sort of sneak in he'll get into this party and then he'll get like he'll uncover his cat suit or whatever he's wearing and his it'll cat be, suit he's he'll... wearing a leather black widow <laughs> well, style cat suit well, you know like a burglar kind of style suit right and he like, like a tactical suit yeah exactly and he, and he unzips that and he pulls out like a, a tuxedo and he goes into this party yeah. and he just smoozes around with all these uh, rich upper class people just trying to figure out what's happening because they know diamond eye is here that's another strong Bond trope as well. That's right. The schmoozing party scene. Yeah. This is where we'll be introduced to our main villain, whose name is Victor Kilnow, (laughs) who's played by Aidan Gillian, who... Is and any relation I'm, to Karen Gillan? I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But it, for those who don't know, he played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones, a very good antagonist. Yeah, I'm not familiar with him. Um, so I thought he'd be good as a lead bad guy for a James Bond movie. So he gives a speech to everybody. He sort of claps his glass and he says, says to everyone, "Thank you, every." He claps his glass. He claps his glass. He he you know puts the knife up to the glass or the right. He chinks it. Yeah, he clinks and it. He thanks everybody for their sizable contributions and he talks about the responsibility that they have all to make the world a better place. Then he says. Now, if you'll excuse me. By the me. way, this exact thing happens at the start of the James Bond game, 007 Nightfire. Like, yeah. almost, oh, wait, he's looking suspicious. <laughs> did you cheat and just steal that bit from Nightfire? I, I Even the did. bit of the contributions was taken from that. I don't remember the contributions bit, but yeah. a little bit. So, oh, wow. That's a good game, though. It is a good game, I know. I always liked that bit as well. That's why I put it in there. Yeah, in, I'm so glad. So, Victor says, okay, everybody, I've just got to retire, have a good night, and he walks away. Now, Bond is like going to be like, I need to figure out what this guy's up to. So, he decides to tail him. He tells Joan, who because he runs into Joan at the party, she's already there. She didn't have to sneak in because she's a more competent spy yes. than he is. Yeah, and she was sa- invited. And he says, look, you stick around, you see what you can find. I'm going to tell this guy. So, James Bond is following Victor and bumps into a Victor female- Kilmore. Victor Kilmore, Kill that's now. right. Victor Kilmore. Victor Kilmore, that's right. right. And he gets stopped by a female goon whose name I decided to give her... Let me guess, Rolinda Hayloff. Runs into a character called Helen, who is a female goon that's kind of acting as Kill... Helen. Yeah, Helen. Okay. Does she have a surname or is she just known as No, because she's like, she's like one of those one-name bad guys. You know right. how they all just have Look one out, name? Look out, here comes Helen. <laughs> Helen. 
And she... Not to be confused with Helga. Is, Helga Brandt. Is played by Amanda Nunes, who is a UFC fighter. Oh, yep, yep, yep. yep. Nice choice. Thank you. So she says, where are you going, James? And James is like, oh, I'm just looking for the bathroom. Oh, you know. Um, and she's like, well, you can't come I'm looking here. for a place where I can have a slash. And also, it's very important that uh, Helen is wearing gloves. I'll get into that okay. a little bit later. So he Robot managed, hands, right? Not quite. Okay. Um, so he manages to sneak past anyway, and he manages to follow Victor. He says, what's that out the window? <laughs> and runs off. Uh, he follows Victor to a underground area where he is holding a secret meeting. Just want to point out that this also happens in Nightfire. <laughs> You're a big fan of that game, apparently. I loved it, yeah. So Kilgrave is speaking uh, about his new weapon that he's making. That he's going to hold the world for ransom. Mm. Now present... 100 million pounds sterling. ...is a few characters we may know or may have known in previous iterations. There is Jaws, the best oh, okay. character, in my opinion, of the James Bond franchise that doesn't yep. get nearly enough love. I originally was going with somebody who played the Hound in Game of Thrones, but I decided to make him a little bit different. Ian Rowan, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but he's another Game of Thrones actor that played Ramsay. Don't at me if I got his name wrong, but I wanted to go with somebody a little bit creepier, a little bit different. Right. He's playing Jaws. And Does we he all... still have the metal teeth? Of course he has the metal teeth. That's Great. the whole gimmick of the character. Of course he has the metal teeth. He was my favorite character as well in James Bond. We also have Odd Job being played oh, wow. by Daniel Day Kim. Wait, that name sounds familiar. What's he from? So he is from Lost. He's a right. Korean-based yeah, actor. You've yeah. probably seen him in a few other things. I think we've talked about him before. We have. We've definitely talked about him. And we're also going to have... Wait, was he the Panther Man from Hellboy? Yes, he was. There you go. Yes, we have was. talked about him before. Yes, he was. Of course, Diamond Eye is present as well. John Ham. Yep. John Ham. And then we're also going to be interrupted by a video chat because there's another bad guy that is also a part of this organization. A video chat in 1964. I think they could pull it off. They'll just yeah, do it with regular yeah. cameras. It'll just be like cameras. futuristic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the Batman style video chats that they yeah. had. And the character here is called Max Stonefinger, who is Stonefinger. Stonefinger. It's like a cross between Goldfinger and Max Zorin. Well, funny you should mention that because this character is played by Christopher Walken. Oh, wow. So he's just back as a completely different villain. He is. He is. Because he played Max Zorin, who I just mentioned. Yes, you're right. He did. And I nearly called him Max Zorin. Oh, wow. Oh, well, we don't actually know if he died. He just sort of fell down into the water. I mean, we presume <laughs> that he fell died. Fell off a bridge. So he might have survived. Mm. But it would be cool. No, wait, that was set in the future. Wait, it wouldn't make sense why he would come back. Yeah. But I'm still waiting for Zorin to come back in the movies. Sure. So Kilnow will thank everyone for coming. He'll say his plans are just about underway thanks to the contributions of Max, the large contributions of Max, and yeah. also Diamond Eye. But in the process, he'll say, well, I can't have any loose ends, so he will kill Diamond Eye. Mm. Now, Bond will make his presence known and he'll attempt to he'll escape. He'll fart and everyone will hear it. <laughs> attempt to escape. And this leads to all the bad guys sort of get up and leave. There are all these other bad guys as well, but those are the more notable ones. They'll all get up and leave and henchmen will start to attack James Bond. He'll run and regroup with Joan and they'll try to exit this mansion but in doing so they have to fight with Helen who will take off her gloves and her hands to reveal that she actually has hooks for hands that's pretty cool that is pretty like a cool complete reversal of the, the henchwoman from um, the Kingsman but they'll manage to escape while this video chat was happening, they found out that Stonefinger's base was in, or I'll say Joan found out that Stonefinger's base... Joanfinger. Jo Wait, that's what Bond does later. <laughs> jo Joan, Joan realizes that Stonefinger's base is in Venice, so that's where they go next. Oh, yep. Returning to Venice for the third time Absolutely. In, the Bond, popular, in the Bond franchise. Popular area. While he's in a dingy bar, he is oh, met oh, by a female called Gloria Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I like it. 
I haven't cast her. Do you have any opinions on who I should cast as Gloria Holiday? Hmm. Who do I like? Who needs more attention? What about Rhea Seahorn from Better Call Saul? Done. Great. So it's her. So she starts flirting with James, but ends up tranquilizing him and taking him away. James, I just wanted you to come back here and check this paperwork. <laughs> um, That's my Rhea Seahorn. James wakes up and he's in a submarine. It's the one that they stole from my plot. <laughs> they did. They did. So this leads to an underground city. Oh. In which is the base for Max Stonefinger. So they pull Bond Played in. Played by Christopher Walken. Played by Christopher yep. Walken. Now they pull Bond in and Max Stonefinger tells him that they're planning to create an underwater city at the depths of the ocean. And Victor is planning to hold the world ransom, destroy the world. And once this Just done. Just like in The Spy Who Loved Me. All the world elites, including themselves, can live underwater. Again, like in The Spy Who Loved Me. That's right. Which is the movie that Jaws was originally from. That's right, that's right. He goes to kill James, or at least Jaws takes, because Jaws is here, Jaws takes James away, but Joan manages to track them down and manages to use a magnet device that'll hurt Jaws' teeth. Yeah, they did that in The Spy Who Loved Me as well. Yeah, well, you know, when ideas work, you got to yeah, reuse yeah. them. That's fair enough. Well, I can't call you out from reusing <laughs> stuff from other movies because it's not like I didn't. So James will escape. They'll go and try to apprehend Max. Max goes crazy and breaks out a red fire axe and tries. Does he actually have a stone finger, by the way, or does he have regular hands? No, because it's a it's a gold finger. Oh, well, it's his name, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess Goldfinger didn't have a gold. Yeah, I know, finger. which always disappointed me, to be honest, because I was looking at his hand, I was like, "Where's his gold finger?" Yeah, he maybe a he has gun. a ring that's stone. Stone finger. Oh, very nice. So James pushes. Max out of an exit chute and he is eaten by a shark. Oh, well done. I'm glad that we both could work in shark eating into both of our movies. They fight off the bad Russians because the Russians are all the bad guys in this movie. They're the kind of team they're working with. Yeah, of course. So unlike the other Bond movies. Cold War time. Yeah. Not the Russian, like every Russian, just like... So like in the movies, they always get around it by like having a a fake organization, I think, because Ian Fleming, believe it or not, didn't want to have the Russians as bad guys because he was like, well, what if we're at a time where we're at peace with the Russians and we don't want to have these books around that's saying all these bad things about them. We can't have that about like people in minorities. Yeah, we, we <laughs> I mean, I don't really care about, you know, the Chingos, but yeah, right. the Russians I don't want to put on the yeah. bad side. Well, these will be Russians, but it won't represent all of Russia because we've got to be fair. So James will thank Joan for saving him and they'll leave Hellbent to take down Victor. Now, during this scene, they'll find out where Victor is based and it is in another place in Russia, which they're going to go all to. Right, another place. That's right. It's a, Yeah, it's another area. Helsinki. Exactly. There's going to be a lot of toing and froing in the middle bit of my movie. A lot of James. Oh, we're Bond. only at the middle. We're, we're wrapping up. Okay. Ooh, yeah, just, I was going to say, how long is this movie? We're, we're getting to the climax. So there's going to be we like, already had that in a my lot plot. of character building and whatnot that happen, and eventually they end up in a Russian facility, a space facility, to be correct. Just like the moon, knows. So they manage to go into a rocket, and here James will fight with Oddjob. But while they're doing so, they actually are in a rocket that goes into outer space. Wow, without any protective equipment on. Yeah, I mean, there's protective equipment in the rocket ship, but it's like a big rocket ship that they have and it launches into space because they're trying to stop Victor from getting into space. Because what Victor has is he has a big laser beam in space that can destroy the main world. Like in Diamonds Are Forever. Exactly. So while they're in space, James comes face to face with Jaws again. Like in Moonraker. But just as this is happening, because Oddjob is here as well, remember, Oddjob throws his hat at James, but misses, and it actually cuts Jaws' face. Wow. And then Jaws and Oddjob have an epic fight scene. Wow, very cool. Because I'm going to say that there's a lot it's of... It's like the 10-year-old's version <laughs> of what should happen in a Bond movie. <laughs> kind of. And then Jaws and Oddjob <laughs> fight each other. We finally get to find out who's stronger. Yeah. 
So while that's happening, James Bond gets a spacesuit and goes to disarm. He has to go outside to disarm the laser that Victor has. Mm -hmm. Now, Victor gets his own henchman and himself to go out and they use laser guns to try to fight James off. And he has his own laser gun, so he's also shooting them, killing them as he goes. James Bond delays the countdown. He he destroys it, so the countdown stops. 10 seconds uncounting. Yep, yeah. So then he's foiled the villain. The 200 villains that appear in this movie. And then just as Victor is about to kill James Bond, Joan comes out and shoots him with a laser. Who, Bond? Shoots uh, Victor. Victor, okay. I was going to say, what a twist. Victor is not quite dead yet. James Bond uses a cufflink that Mm. is designed to shock people. I don't know how this works in space, but use your imagination. I'm pretty sure he had cufflinks in one of the movies that would shoot out gas. I could be mixing it up Mm. with something else. It might be mixing up with the key ring that he had. So it electrocutes Victor and he flies off into the abyss by the way, I didn't mention Q. He's played by John Cleese in my movie. Yeah, Q doesn't exist in my movie. Wait, wait, John Cleese again? Yep, he's reprising his role. Oh my God. So Bond and Joan go back to England. Joan comes to Bond's hotel. Um, he didn't knocks, want to go home, apparently. Knocks on uh, his door just because they have to go off to another mission. James Bond answers in a towel with scratches on his face because it turns out he's in the bed with Helen. Oh, wow. <laughs> Joan rolls her eyes. I hope her last name is Zass. And leaves. Helen Zass. Now, I'm going to add something else to this movie, and this is where I have a little bit of creative license. M, who's played by George Lazenby, says, yep. thank you very much, Joan. I'm going to tell Bond. I don't want to tell him, like, I prefer to leave on my own terms, but I'm going to be retiring from this position as M. Right. Here's your replacement. Here is the new M. And then turning around is Sean Connery. Oh, Wow. Wow, that's very nice. And that's the end of my movie. You know they wanted to do that in Skyfall, believe it or not. Did Brian Cox take that character? No, it wasn't Brian Cox. It was, oh, what's his name? The character's name was Kincaid. I can't remember the actor's name. He only died very recently. But he was the sort of like game warden or the caretaker at the actual Skyfall house. I thought that was uh, Brian Cox. No, that wasn't Brian Cox. But they originally wanted Sean Connery to play that character. That would have been perfect. But then they were like, well, first of all, Sean Connery wouldn't want to do it. He's retired. Second of all, he's not interested in Eon Productions anymore. He had a very big public falling out with them. And third, it would just be too weird, right? Everyone would be questioning like, hang on, what's going on here? He's James Bond and he's James Bond. And then their brains would explode. I don't think that would be the case. I think it would be a cool reference. I think we all would have accepted it. Yeah. But there's so many reasons why it didn't happen. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Oh, did you? I was expecting it to be silly. <laughs> well, it wasn't? Interestingly enough, you had like a little element from every other previous Bond movie worked into your plot, including actors who have previously appeared in Bond movies. So that was very clever in a way. <laughs> yeah, well, I did. I don't know if that was intentional. It but... was, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, well I'm going to say, of course I'm going to say it's intentional. Yeah. Yeah, because was... I, I watched a lot of these movies as a kid. So. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm very impressed. I thought it was quite decent. Oh, wow. There you go. He was not expecting me to react there you go. I thought you'd hate it. No, it was fine. Because, uh, you know. <laughs> it was a little silly, but, you know, no more silly than any of the Brosnan movies. <laughs> yes. Anyway, who do you think has the better plot? Please let us know. You can send us an email at potentialspoilerspod at gmail.com or you can send your own idea for a, a James Bond reboot in. I'd love to hear them. Yeah. Let Personal us, interest of mine. Let us know your favourite James Bond movie. Yeah. Even so. Please do. Or who you think should play Bond should they reboot it. Should it be a man? Should it be a woman? Do you have a specific actor in mind? Yeah. You can be as creative as you want. So, yeah, send us an email at potentialspoilerspod at gmail.com. 
Otherwise, you can leave us a comment on this episode's page on the Podbean site, or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page. Just do a search for Potential Spoilers Podcast. We're pretty easy to find. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram just by searching Potential Spoilers. And on Instagram, if you search for Potential Spoilers Podcast. I think we're Potential Spoilers Pod on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's right. Right. So, that leads us perfectly into what we're going to be talking about next week. Which is? Interestingly enough, Matty D mentioned the director of the John Wick movies as the mastermind behind his upcoming James Bond reboot. So what better time to revisit the John Wick movie that we discussed all that time ago, about this time last year, (laughs) John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. We're going to revisit our predictions from all that time ago, and we're going to see who got closer to the actual film. So if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, give it a listen after this. Let us know what you think about it. I think it's about episode seven, if I'm not mistaken. And watch the John Wick movie, but what we're going to do is we're going to go away. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, No, I haven't seen it. We're going to go watch this movie and see how close we were to predicting the plot of John Wick. that's right. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how well we did, because I don't actually know. I can't remember what we said. No, neither can I. It's been so long. Oh, well, we'll know all about it next week. Yeah, thanks for joining us this week. I hope you had a good time. Yes, and potential spoilers will return with John Wick. Too many free radicals. That's your problem. Free radicals, sir? Yeah, they're toxins that destroy the body and the brain. Caused by eating too much red meat and white bread and too many dry martinis. Then I shall cut out the white bread, sir. Oh, you'll do more than that, 007. From now on, you will be suffering a strict regimen of diet and exercise. We shall purge those toxins from you. Have you got an assignment, James? Yes, Money Penny. I'm to eliminate all free radicals. Oh. Do be careful. <laughs>